Over the past few months since we've uh, been experiencing lockdown, social isolation and physical distancing due to COVID, I've talked to uh, various social service agencies in Niagara about how they're um, helping people and coping with people who are many in a brand new situation of facing food insecurity. They are possibly um, losing homes because people are in fact losing their homes because their income has, has gone away. They don't know when they're going to get a job again. Families are in dire financial situation. And, um, and then, you know, there are the people who have been living on the streets or living with a mental health or drug drug addiction for years. And this week I wanted to talk to Nancy Garner, the Executive Director at Quest Community Health Center. I'm on the Board of Directors at Quest, and the reason that I, when I, that I approached the board in the first place for Quest was my interest in mental health. And I knew that Quest does a lot of work um, counseling with people. They work with people who are living on the margins. They work with people who are homeless, um, drug addicted. Many are people who are living in isolation, uh, for example, older seniors. And what I found when I got there was that Quest was so much more than that. Quest is a primary health care provider, and I believe the only one in, uh, in St. Catharines anyway, we do have a couple of other CHCs in Niagara who provide this kind of service. So Nancy, welcome and thank you for talking to me. Thanks Janice, thanks for having me. Can you just explain first, what makes Quest different from other organizations in, in Niagara? Sure, so Quest Community Health Center um, provides not only uh, primary health care that the regular individual in, in our society uh, would access, but we actually provide a whole range of multidisciplinary approaches to health care and a range of services um, in a more holistic manner. So we not only look at the physical uh, challenges that people come to us with, but also um, their social barriers, their economic barriers, their cultural barriers, and looking at a, a more wellness approach to healthcare, um, looking at uh, community and social justice issues as well. So it's, it's really looking at um, um, all of the social determinants of health for that particular individual. So you deal with, um, I know that you have a dental program there that's very unique. You have a transgender health program there that's very unique, an LGBTQ program, a health program that's very unique. So, and, and can you explain to me the dental um, program? I'm, I'm, the reason I'm asking is because one of the things that first really struck me about Quest was when somebody said to me, I believe it was Jenny Stranges, who's the program director there, said to me, you know you can't get a job if you don't have teeth. And I had never thought of that at all. And so when people ask me, why are you on the Quest board and what does it do? I say, you know you can't get a job if you don't have teeth. And everybody's taken aback by that because nobody <laughs> thinks about how important that is. So why isn't that person getting a job? They should have a job. Well, do they have teeth? Right. It's so very true. Actually, our dental program started a number of years ago um, with volunteer dentists coming together and being able to provide um, dental care for, for the clients that come into our program. Uh, and we continue to run that program, but we were fortunate enough to receive funding from um, Niagara Public Health 
to run the Ontario Dental Seniors Program, and that is a low-income seniors dental program um, that operates. We have two operatories within our clinic, and it's really to help low-income seniors to receive the dental care that they uh, require and need. And um, at this point, I, I would say that um, during COVID, uh, unfortunately, we're not fully operational. We were prior to COVID, um, but uh, we are still seeing people um, on urgent cases, urgent needs, and, and uh, are still seeing people on a regular basis. So um, we're fully operational, and we are only one of two in the Niagara region that provide this service. What does it mean to a person's mental health to have healthy teeth, to have all of their teeth, and to be able to uh, smile and be comfortable? I see a lot of young people around, uh, around Niagara, young people who don't have proper teeth because they can't afford to go to the dentist. Yeah, so it does two things, I think. Obviously, it increases uh, an individual's self-esteem by being able to smile confidently, um, at which also impacts their, their mental health in a positive way. But it also, um, as we know, dental health is really important to uh, physical health. And so, um, um, you know, having good dental health has an impact on an individual's physical well-being as well. So it's twofold. It's both mental, mental health and mental wellness and physical wellness. You have, uh, I'm just going to move into, your, into what you've had to do to adapt to COVID to continue to supply services. So some of your services are still being done at the clinic for people who need to see um, a person, a doctor or a practitioner, whoever it is in person. But you've moved a lot of your programs, um, group programs online, and you did that very early on. And I'm interested especially in the anxiety program and how that's working because anxiety can be something that could be a real block to any kind of change in the way you're interacting with people. Yeah, so you're you're right, Janice. We we did have to switch very very quickly, um, and I think uh, we really didn't take take any um, step back in providing service. We never closed our doors. Um, we uh, ramped up very very quickly and started um, putting all of the uh, infection control processes in place so that we could still see people in person. Um, doing doing those um, assessments on the phone and then when they came in person, but also we've gone to a virtual platform um, to to uh, um, reach out to most of our clients. And as far as the groups are concerned, um, we are doing all of our groups now virtually. Um, and uh, the managing anxiety group, uh, we just restarted the group. It's a six-week uh, group that offers a variety of, a variety of strategies that help people um, cope with their fears and, and worries. And then we keep running those on a six-week loop. So um, as you can imagine, um, COVID-19 has had a significant impact on individuals' anxiety. And so um, running these uh, programs is, is timely. Um, we also have a skills to cope program, which is group, which is done virtually, and it's really looking at, you know, really what what impacts uh, people's lives and and what's unmanageable for them, and then look 
maybe making some bad decisions for themselves that aren't very um, wellness oriented. And so helping people manage those uh, emotions and those decisions that they're making. So some of these programs are really timely during this pandemic. You also have brought in a, a, an interesting thing, and I don't know who, uh, what organization helped you out with this, but because you have so many low-income people who are uh, many, many, many who are uh, living in isolation, and a lot of those are seniors, but other people who are living in isolation and they're, they're low-income, so they don't have a telephone, they don't have a cell phone, they don't have a computer, so they are essentially cut off from the world. And you have been able to provide some of the people with cell phones. We have. So, yeah, we were fortunate enough to get a, a small donation of $5,000 to be able to do uh, a number of things for our, our clients. Uh, we were able to uh, purchase uh, mobile phones for, for those individuals with SIM cards so that they could uh, connect to us and not be isolated um, and we could connect with them so that we could have that ongoing um, um, uh, dialogue with people to make sure that they're okay. The other thing that we did with that money is to purchase gift cards for groceries because we do know that um, a number of individuals are on um, very limited incomes and it's challenging for people to be able to, um, to go out and get those groceries. And I know personally groceries are I know it's not supposed to be the case, but groceries are more expensive now than they've ever been. And so um, to help people out, we've provided uh, grocery carts and we've actually even delivered groceries to people. Um, we've delivered good food boxes to people. So we're looking at ways to, um, to support people in different ways than we probably normally would. Um, but um, um, it's, it's so important for people to be able to connect to the outside world when they're isolated. Well, it's interesting, too, because even getting to the grocery store right now is uh, almost impossible. I mean, I know you can take a bus, but when the bus goes by and it, and it says essential transportation only, you don't want to be the person who gets on the bus, but you have to get to the grocery store. And then even for everybody I talk to, and for me, I talk about this all the time, but it's stressful going to the grocery store. It sure and is. Yeah. And so if you are also on an extremely limited income and you have to figure out what it is that you can buy within your means and use the arrows to be in the right aisles at the right time and not slow people down, if you're already experiencing any kind of a social anxiety or a feeling less than the other people who are in the store that could be that could be a fairly traumatic thing whereas some of us say hey yay I got to go to the grocery store and get out of my house exactly exactly so some of that the supports that go around that are phone calls from our staff sometimes the staff can be on the phone with the individual while they're going through the grocery line so we're being very creative in how to support people to to manage their lives now um, you do have some very specific mental health services that you you have so you have USAT the Urgent service access team. Thank you, urgent service access team. <laughs> Explain to me how that works. Now I know that you, that works in combination with some of the other mental health agencies in the city and the police. But again, you know, a lot of people in in Niagara feel like there's nobody out there helping 
people who are living with um, a mental illness or a mental health issue and that they're going to the hospital and being thrown out of the hospital and there's and nobody's helping and I and I want people to know that there is help out there and there are agencies like Quest and CMHA and so on who are working hard. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so the USAT team or urgent services access team for mental health and addictions is, is a real true collaboration, I would say. It, it's a joint initiative of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Niagara Branch, um, Community Addiction Services of Niagara and Niagara Health and Quest Community Health Centre. And Quest acts as the hub for the primary health care piece for the team. Uh, we also have the uh, van for for going out to um, see people, and it's really going out and um, connecting with people, um, providing primary health care, mental health and addiction services, and other services that people need um, uh, who wouldn't otherwise access any service. Um, so we have different points of service throughout uh, throughout the region. Um, we have, including withdrawal management services, um, the jail, um, uh, St. Catherine's um, Niagara Health site, uh, etc. And we also do home visits. Um, it's really for individuals who are frequent users of the emergency department for mental health or addiction challenges, um, for people who experience opioid dependency, um, and really could really benefit from a more coordinated care plan. Um, and um, so uh, when this program was started, uh, after um, uh, I think it uh, started in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, um, the whole intent was to reduce hallway medicine, people hanging out in the, in the uh, hospitals unnecessarily for mental health and addiction challenges. And so um, if people are supported in the community, then they don't have to go to, to the hospital. Um, we found uh, uh, in a survey that there was a 50% reduction in visits to the emergency department by our clients. Um, so as a result of that, um, uh, we kind of expanded our points of service uh, as well. And um, the clients that we surveyed, uh, we had 100% satisfaction rate with the care that they were uh, being provided. So it's really reducing the anxiety around accessing primary care. Uh, we meet the person where they're at. We um, try to develop some rapport, try to do some uh, um, uh, initial assessment and then figure out what that person needs and put a care plan together for them. Um, and it's been so, so very successful. Successful. In fact, in 2016, Quest uh, received uh, from the Alliance for Healthier, Healthier Communities, um, uh, received a transformation, uh, tra sorry, a transformative change award and um, for this initiative. So we're very, very proud of that. Can you just walk me through where that would start? So say it's me and I'm, and I'm having a crisis and I phone 911. Uh, is that where it would start? I would, I would phone 911 because I'm obviously not going to say, oh, I better look up USAT and find that phone number and get in touch so I know I'm in the right place. So so where does it start for the average person who's going to end up, you know, going through the USAT program? Yeah. Planning, planning for their health. Sure. So it can be in many, it could be many forms. Um, 
it it could be a 911 call. Um, 911 call would normally go to the MHART team, which is the Mental Health and Addictions Response Team uh, through EMS. Um, and if it's a, a mental health or addiction um, uh, issue, then um, one of our 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 uh, nurse would go out with um, an EMS worker and and, uh, and and just really do that assessment where the person is at and see if we could connect them to the USAT team and, and um, um, ensure that they get those services that they need. So the first connection in that case might be just a de-escalation. It's okay, we're here for you. Um, you're not alone. You know, what is it that you need? What can we do for you? And then uh, making that initial connection to be able to then start that uh, relationship and start that rapport and then start that connection to a more fulsome uh, community care plan. It, it could also be that somebody might be at withdrawal management and they have nowhere to go and no services and so we that is one of our points of service as well so one of our workers would be there making that connection with the individual starting to develop that rapport, starting to identify, um, having that person identify what their needs are, and then starting to get some services in place. What happens if that person doesn't have a home? Um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get service. Uh, we, of course, service anybody who, who uh, needs our assistance. Um, and so part of that would be um, assessing uh, what, what the person needs, obviously, if they need housing and making those linkages or, or referrals to housing for them. This past week, we had uh, 20, uh, one greenhouse, there were 20 migrant agricultural workers who tested positive for COVID. And that, of course, is bringing up a lot of emotion about uh, whether migrant workers should have been allowed in Canada. People are saying, you see, I told you so, this is what was gonna happen. Other people are, you know, no, no, no. There was adequate quarantine and we would not have been able to get through the growing season without the, without the, the, the people who have been coming here for years and years and years and helping out and are in fact very skilled workers which I hadn't thought of, uh, no, you know, if I go to pick grapes, I'm not skilled. I don't know how to do it. I would need to have someone, you know, be overseeing me the entire time. And probably it would be one of the workers because he or she is extremely skilled. But Quest offers and has for years done the um, health, health healthcare for, for um, migrant workers when they come here for the summer. What's happening now? I mean, how, how, how did uh, the health officials work with quarantining when the workers arrived in Canada and what are you doing now that there has been this outbreak? Sure, so we've been very involved with with uh, the migrant agricultural worker uh, workers um, for over about 10 years now. Um, we have always provided with our partners healthcare, primary healthcare to the migrant agricultural workers uh, in the Niagara region, particularly in St. Catharines, uh, Beamsville, Jordan, and Vineland. Um, and um, these are our central workers. So um, 
as we are going through COVID right now, um, we were uh, right at the very beginning. We were we provided posters and um, videos in both English and Spanish, with a lot of visual cueing to uh, to the farms and to the farmers and to the um, workers coming into into Canada to be able to educate them around infection control, around personal protective equipment, around how to stay safe, around what to do if they start to become uh, ill or they feel ill, that they can reach out to us, that we're there for them. I would say that the uh, a number of, you have to understand that even some of the Spanish-speaking uh, workers that come, there are some literacy challenges within their own language. So it was really important for our videos to be very um, visual, cueing, lots of things around, um, you know, uh, visually uh, hand washing, visually uh, cleaning up after them, uh, after they make their meals, et cetera, et cetera. So we started this um, before people were arriving or just as they started to arrive. All of the workers have to be quarantined for 14 days before they can actually get onto the farm. And as they're arriving, we are connecting. So because we've been involved with the program for a number of years, we have a number of, of uh, clients that are coming back to us. And we're just, we've just been checking in with them because we have a health history with them to make sure that, that they have their medications that they need. Some, some need diabetes medication, some need other types of physical health medication. But you have to imagine, a number of people coming here for the first time, and even if they've been here before, they're isolating for 14 days. So the, the impact on their mental health during that 14 days is significant. So the thing that we've been doing is reaching out to them while they're self-isolating, um, ensuring that they know that we're here for them um, and that, that they are not alone. And that's had a, a big impact on, on a number of the workers from what they're telling us. Um, then the next piece of it is actually when they're beginning to work is to really make sure that they are staying safe. So we've been doing virtual clinics. So um, what will happen normally is that we would be doing clinics on site, but um, so uh, we've set up appointments. So we have our physician, we have a community health worker, we have a physiotherapist, um, we have a nurse practitioner, um, our RN um, and a counselor, um, all uh, setting all appointments set up for those um, uh, various uh, practices, and um, the workers can then um, be seen virtually and have their healthcare needs. We were involved with the. We are currently involved with two of the individuals um, that are our clients uh, that were are COVID positive, and we are following them, making sure that uh, they are staying safe. And we're also working very closely with um, public health to to make sure that um, um, we're working in partnership with them to to ensure um, that there is enough PPE at the farms and that people are uh, are are. are being safe as, as they can. You can imagine with the living conditions being so close that if there's any outbreak, uh, it, it will uh, rapidly go through um, the housing. So we, we are just constantly 
providing education and um, feedback and follow up with all of the, the migrant workers that are, uh, we have connection with. Really appreciate you talking to me today. Thank you so much, Janice. Thanks for having me.